Sadi Gaur Bhakta Vrindaki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai. Navadrip Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Samaveta Bhakta Vrindaki Jai. Gaur Premanande. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glorious to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om, Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale. Sri Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve. Goravani Pacharane, Nirvasesis and Nirvati Paskatya Desatarane, Bandeham Shri Guru, Shri Yuta, Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha, Shri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sahagana, Raganatam, Bitams, Tam Sajivam, Sadvoitam, Sadvadutam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Sevam, Shri Radha, Krishna Padam, Sahagana, Lalita, Shri Vishakam, Bitamscha. Panchakalpa Trubhyascha Kripa Siddhubhyevacha Patitanan Pavanevyo Vaishnavevyo Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya March 18, 2016, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 10, Text 19 and... 20, so we're going to recite 19. Saptama Mukya Sargastu. Basinsis Maharaj. Sadviras Tastu Shamchaya. Vanapas Yoshadilata. Twakshara Virudo Jumaha Saptamaha The Seventh Mukya Principle Sargaha Creation Two Indeed. Shatvidaha. Six kinds of. Tastusham. Of those who do not move. Cha. Also. Yaha. Those. Vanaspati, fruit trees without flowers, Oshadi, trees and plants existing until the fruit is ripe, 
Lata. Creepers. Traksharaha. Pipe plants. Virudaha. Creepers without support. Drumaha. Trees with flowers and fruits. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Uh, no purports for these two verses. Text 19. The seventh creation is that of the immovable entities, which are of six kinds. The fruit trees without flowers, trees and plants which exist until the fruit is ripe, creepers, pipe plants, creepers which have no support, and trees with flowers and fruits. Text 20. Utshrotastas tama praya antasparsha visheninaha. Translation. All the immovable trees and plants seek their substance upward. Subsistence upward. They are almost unconscious, but have feelings of pain within. They are manifested in variegatedness. So, this is the divisions of the creation in this chapter. The amazing variety on this planet. Such variety that nobody can claim that they counted all of the species or all of the varieties within the species manifested in variegatedness. They're constantly finding new kinds of living entities. And this is just on this one planet. So the scientists look up in the heavens and they wonder if this is the only inhabited planet. But according to the Shastra, uh, all the stars and planets are inhabited. And the amount of varieties there is, uh, in many cases, greater or different. All different kinds of atmospheres, all different kinds of living entities. And it's interesting, I was just yesterday reading before I looked at today's verse, I was just yesterday reading from the third canto, uh, a very similar description, where Lord Kapiladev says, the living entities, this is from 29, 28 to 29, living entities are superior to inanimate objects, O Blessed Mother, and among them living entities who display life symptoms are better. Animals with developed consciousness are better than them, and better still are those who have developed sense perception. Srila Prabhupada in this purport says something very interesting. Um, he says that there are some stone-like living, uh, living entities. He said like there are some mountains that grow. I would assume he's talking about things like volcanoes, that they're alive. He says there's the presence of the soul within that. And he says there's living beings in development of consciousness and then development of sense perception. He says in the... Moksha Dharma section of the Mahabharata, it is stated that the trees have developed sense perception. They can see and smell. He says, we know by experience that trees can see. Sometimes in its growth, a large tree changes its course of development to avoid some hindrances. This means that a tree can see. And according to Mahabharata, a tree can also smell. This indicates the development of sense perception. I was recently reading uh, some research about trees and how they can communicate with the other trees in the area. They actually have social networks. They communicate through their roots. They communicate chemically. They, if they notice some sort of insect infestation or disease, 
they can communicate that to the other trees and they can marshal group defenses and, and so forth. And the article was saying that a lot of the ways that the plants are cultivated today interferes with that network. When you plant trees at a set distance and so forth, they're not able to communicate so well. So, so many things that we are discovering, not only the number of species, but the ability of the species. Uh, yesterday we were having some discussion about humans' mental capacity. And one of the kids was asking about fire walking, you know, people who walk on hot, hot coals and don't, their feet don't get burned. And one person said, well, maybe they can not feel the pain, but they still get burns. And we said, no, they actually don't get burned. They're able to change the way their body responds to the heat so that they don't get burned. Anyway, there was this one man who climbs up to the, in the Himalayas uh, with just a bathing suit. And he doesn't get cold, and he teaches other people also how to manipulate their bodies to withstand the cold. So, so many things we don't understand. You know, we don't understand the, the, the communication system of trees. We don't understand the uh, potentiality of our, of our own human body. We don't understand all the different species. But all these are meant to fulfill the various desires. Karanaguna Sangasya. That one takes birth in these different situations, you know, imagine taking birth as a volcano. <laughs> so one can take birth as a volcano, one can take birth as a tree, right? And in, in trees, there's so many varieties. So you can take birth as trees that uh, don't have any fruits and flowers, or trees that have flowers but not edible fruits, uh, trees that have fruits but very small flowers, and, and creepers that have to depend on something else for support. Right In our garden here, we're growing a number of creepers. You have to provide support. For them. Right? And trees that can grow and be the support, trees that have very deep roots or very shallow roots, or you know, some of these huge trees, the way they stay is not that they have deep roots, but they intertwine their roots with that of other trees, and they support each other under the ground. And then how you experience the world. Like here, it says that the trees have uh, almost unconscious tama prayaha they're in, in uh, prayaha almost they're almost in complete ignorance but antasparshaha they have a little sparshaha means touch they have some slight feelings of course their feelings are just uh, miserable but basically whatever we want eko bhaginam kaman we can find some situation we can find some situation that will fulfill that desire we have that uh, painting, I think Jadarani did it, in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, where the, the people who are walking around naked, they can become trees. If you want people to admire your naked body. My mother had a favorite poem, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. And people love to admire, the, right, we have so many trees out here. People love to admire the trees and the plants. You have the botanical gardens, and people come and look at them. Oh, how beautiful is your naked body, right? Or the animals. Uh, many animals have gorgeous forms, far, far more beautiful than human beings, especially birds. Such beauty among the birds. And they can't really appreciate their own beauty, but others are appreciating, oh, what a beautiful naked body that you have, you know, <laughs> strutting around. So if that's what you want, if you want people to appreciate and be mesmerized with how beautiful you are, but unfortunately, when others are mesmerized with how beautiful you are, they capture you. They put you in a cage. 
so they can admire you, or they shoot you and they stuff your dead body and put it on the wall <laughs> to admire it, and so on. And then, what do you have? You know, so you're this this beautiful deer, this graceful deer, and, and someone is admiring your beauty and grace. You know, the the ballerinas and the, the acrobats, and they wear clothes that are. You know, as close to being naked as they can get away with, and you know, being admired for their grace and their beauty, and so on. They could become a deer, a beautiful deer, beautiful gazelle. You know, such graceful leaps and jumps and standing on their, on their toenails, and you, you get to do that and dance through the forest. But it, that's not so idyllic because as you're dancing through the forest, you have no home. Those creatures have no home, they have no shelter, they're outside in all kinds of weather, and their running ability is to keep them from predators who are going to literally eat them alive. And they're constantly afraid that their their child will be eaten. Old, as soon as you get old and sick, (laughs) you get eaten. And all day all you worry about is, is eating yourself. Where can I find something to eat? How can I go to the water hall? without being killed. But you have that facility, you know, and if you want to be a, uh, an acrobat, you can become a monkey. You know, you see the Reese's monkeys in Vrindavan, and they're amazing acrobats. Amazing. And they don't even have to take classes. Okay. So whatever one wants, whatever one wants, but sometimes we tell a story, we read once of this woman who trained herself, not by... Not like this man who climbs in his underwear in the Himalayas where he does it by uh, you know, meditation and, and yoga. But this woman did physically. She gained a lot of weight and she gradually trained her body on the physical level to withstand cold so that she could swim in the Arctic Ocean without freezing to death. You know, and then you can become an Arctic seal. <laughs> and, and you don't even have to undergo any special kind of training. You can just do it. You know, Or the people who are flying, they have these these flight suits nowadays, right? So you get this special suit and you can jump off the mountain. Apparently you can fly. Uh, But why not just become a bird? You know, or if you're really demoniac, you can become a bat. (laughs) Or even worse, you know, you can become an insect and fly around. You can, you know, and if if you want to fly around and cause trouble to others, you can become a mosquito. Mosquitoes are the cause one of some of the most deaths of any living being in the world. Thousands, tens of thousands of deaths every year are caused by mosquitoes. And then different situations, you know. If you really value being a member of a team and being loyal, it's, it's your, you know, abhiman, that's your sense of self. You're loyal and helpful. I'm a loyal, helpful team player, you know. You can become a wolf or a dog. They say the reason that dogs are such... Uh, good companions for human beings is that they see the humans in their life as if they're the alpha wolves of the pack and they're loyal to them. Okay? Or you can become a bee or an ant, you know, <laughs> if you're really a socialist, a communist. So there's so these different situations you could take birth in and you get to be a perfect communist in your ant colony. And then the situations, you know, you could be an ant in Hawaii or you could be an ant in you know, Minnesota, <laughs> you could be a, a street dog in Delhi, or you could be the pampered dog of a millionaire who leaves you all of her inheritance. 
So such variety of circumstances that one can experience. And I, I think many of us find our mind going there. You know, we see various people's situation and experience. Or we think, oh, I wonder what that's like. Oh, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what that's like, you know. I wonder what that's like. What is, what is that? What is that like? But of all the different situations that we can be in, the human body that we're in right now is, uh, is very special. And it says in the Bhagavatam that even the demigods desire to get a human body. And we might wonder why that would be true. Why would the demigods want to have a human body? The demigods have the facility that human beings are aspiring for, right? It's like that. I like to tell the story of how the first time when I went to Trinidad, which uh, hopefully I'll be going again this year in April, so the, when the first time I went to Trinidad, I noticed that most of the devotees there told me that they wanted to move to New York City. And I would say to them, you know, here in Trinidad, at the Sunday feast in Trinidad, we were all drinking fresh squeezed passion fruit juice because all the devotees had passion fruit vines in their backyard and they'd bring all these passion fruits to the temple. And they'd make enough, everybody would have, you know, a full cup of, of fresh passion fruit juice and all of the subjis were all fresh out of the devotees' gardens. Uh, such opulence. Of course, they were, most of the people, they were fairly poor. They didn't even have screens in their windows for the mosquitoes, etc. And, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a hard life. But they were thinking they wanted to go to New York, and I said, okay, well, in New York. And then uh, it's cold. You know, you'll probably just be driving a taxi in the dirty snow in the winter. And then in New York, I told them, I said, you know, in New York, there's signs everywhere. Go to the Caribbean. Right? So people in New York, they want to go to the Caribbean. People in the Caribbean, they want to go to New York. So the human beings, they generally want to become demigods. If you think about the human endeavor, either they want to become demigods through religion and go to heaven, or through modern science. They want to make it so our bodies just heal and we can be free from disease Right, the Ashvini Kumaras, the heavenly physicians, they can cure almost anything. Uh, even Maya Dhanava, he can, you know, dip your body in a well of nectar and bring you back to life as long as you haven't lost your head. <laughs> you know, the demigods can change their form at will. They can regenerate organs. Right, they can <laughs> they can re- remove that, like Chaivana Muni, right, he could remove a head and replace it with the horse's head, and then put the head back on. So this is the kind of thing the humans want to do. The demigods, they don't sweat. Their clothes don't get dirty. You know, they're trying to produce now textiles that shed dirt, right, and grease, and uh, so many things. So the humans are trying to get demigod bodies, plastic surgery to make them look more beautiful. And and the demigods, uh, at least some of them, they're wanting to become human beings. They're wanting to take the human body. So what is the special facility of the human body? Of all the different kinds of bodies one could have, you know, a mango tree, a butterfly, a great demigod, and there's, there's degrees and kinds of demigods, the Apsaras, the Gantarvas, the Prajapatis, the Gyanis, and then there's the demon bodies, and you can be a Rakshasa, you can be a, a, a Yamaduta, so I've had some, uh, my son-in-law and I have discussed 
several times, there's some Shastra quote, I don't remember exactly where it is, about who becomes Yamadutas. And we see that there are even devotees who appear to want to be Yamadutas. You know, their main interest is in, in justice and righteousness. <laughs> and they're, uh, they want to punish anybody who doesn't fit their narrow idea of righteousness. And they like to threaten people, you know. I know one devotee who does this, and he'll even say, I am so big and I'm so powerful, you should be afraid of me, and I will uh, cause you suffering if you break any moral principles. Uh, so the, the Yamadutas, you know, they're, they're pious. They're serving Yamaraj. They're doing a role in the universe. It's their, it's their job, but they're pretty ugly and, and scary, and they really get into causing pain to others, you know, so you can become a Yamaduta, so many things. But what's this particular advantage? advantages of the human body. Now, materially, a human body on the earth planet, especially in Kali Yuga, doesn't seem like much of an advantage. You know, we have this 100-year lifespan, but if you make it to your 70s, that's pretty good. You know, once you're 60, if you die, nobody's surprised. And people are dying of terrible diseases. Oh, they're dying of, of cancer, horrible, painful disease. Right, the, everything is, is polluted. It was that conversation devotees had with Prabhupada in the 70s where they were talking about the possibility of atomic war and how it would pollute everything. And Prabhupada said, the whole material world is polluted. We already live here. But especially in Kali Yuga, we're really polluted. You know, the water you drink, the air we breathe, the, the food we eat, it's almost impossible to live in a non-polluted atmosphere and, and noise pollution and and so much fighting and arguing. And it says in Kali Yuga, people are, don't really argue about issues. They argue just to argue. Well, and the, the body itself is so fragile. So fragile, you know. You're just a little bump and you, you break it. <laughs> and it doesn't have much capacity. It doesn't have much capacity for sense gratification. Very, very limited sensory ability. How much can we eat? How much can we smell? How much can we see? How much can we feel? And the youthful portion of life is over very quickly. So materially, you know, and we don't have any, any powers in the Kali Yuga. In the beginning of Kali Yuga, the Brahmanas had pretty far out powers. You know, the humans, they were humans. But the Brahmanas could say, you know, become a frog, and you became a frog. Like all the fairy tales that exist, you know, they're based on some, something that was happening in human history thousands of years ago. And now we don't have any powers. I mean, we have some. Some people develop some powers, but... We were talking about the placebo effect yesterday and how 30% of people who are given a placebo will heal even though the placebo isn't anything. You know, some accounts are people who have terrible terminal diseases and the doctors lie to them and say, we're giving you a new experimental treatment and they're not really doing anything. And then the person gets completely cured. So obviously we still have some powers in the human body, but uh, not so many. So materially, uh, we see that this human form, especially in the Kali Yuga, uh, on this lower middle planet, materially it's really not very good. I mean, materially speaking, as a human being, we are aware that we are suffering. Uh, we have awareness, we have consciousness, we have some religion, but we don't really have much material facility. You know, to counteract our suffering. Our facility to counteract our suffering is, is very limited and not very effective. But there is some facility human beings have in the Kali Yuga. 
on this on this planet. There are human beings on other planets as well, but on this lower planet, lowest of the middle planets, in the worst age of the Earth. Of course, Kali Yuga has only recently begun. And Prabhupada said, "Do not take your birth again and again in this Kali Yuga." because taking one's birth again and again in this Kali Yuga, the special facility we have will diminish. So the special facility we have, for which the demigods are coming, Srila Prabhupada compares it to the people in Western countries going to India. So I remember my, my father, in his retirement, went to Egypt, which is a place I've never been. And when he was describing Egypt, it sounded a lot like, describing Cairo sounded a lot like Delhi. You know, horns honking, chaotic, dangerous traffic where you put your life in your hands every time you cross the street. Nobody gives pedestrians a right of way. And trash everywhere and pollution everywhere and government corruption. So who would want to go to a place like that? You know, here I am in America and people generally follow the rules. I mean, there's certainly corruption and bribery, but it's not endemic uh, like it is in, in a place like India. Now, we have some slums where there's trash all over and graffiti, but I saw that in India even in the wealthy neighborhoods, even the most wealthy neighborhoods. So inside the homes, it was marble and servants and people eating off solid silver, and outside the homes, there was trash all over the ground. Right? And, and who would, why would somebody want to go from one of the Western countries to India? So that was with Prabhupada's comparison. And we're doing that. Well, we're doing that. We're taking a lot of time and energy and, and money and trouble to go to India. Because there's something in India that's difficult to find out of India. It can be found, certainly. And Srila Prabhupada had as one of his seven purposes of ISKCON to create holy places of pilgrimage. And Prabhupada did that. Uh, now that's in so many places. I mean, not only New Vrindavan in America, there's New Rajdam now in Hungary where Shiva Ramaraj has established uh, all the holy places of Vrindavan there in Hungary. And his, his point is, not only was that specifically Srila Prabhupada's desire, but as soon as you have Krishna, Radha and Krishna there, then their dham must also be there. It's just simply a question of, of finding it and manifesting it. And we have an Inishroth in Ireland also, where the devotees have established uh, the places of Krishna's pastimes so many places that we've established that here is a dham outside of India, and one can get a very good association, perfect sadhu sangha and so forth, outside of India. But still in India, there is some facility, of course, uh, it's decreasing. There is some facility that's not available outside of India. There is the, the dham directly and the the view. I know when, when we lived at Govardhan, so it was a very interesting experience living at Govardhan because the Govardhan Hill himself is the deity. It's like the whole village is one big temple and there is the, the altar and the deity is there as, as this hill. And the consciousness of everybody is fixated on Govardhan. And that's true even for the materialistic people there and the um, scoundrels and the criminals and they're even making their money off the tourist trade of people who are coming to, to Govardhan. It's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting that somehow they're fixating on, on Govardhan. 
So this is the facility that the human life offers. Because the human life in this earth planet is really, it's just one step above uh, animal life. It's not a very evolved form. Right? Of course, uh, most souls who come up from animal life first become tribals before they go into some more organized human society. Organized means that there's varnas and ashrams. So ashram means that there's some sort of organized educational system for children. It means that there's some sort of marriage. There's some sort of fidelity in marriage and yagya in marriage. And there's some sort of retirement and preparation for death. Those are the four ashrams. And it means there's some division of labor. There's some kind of government. There's some sort of uh, priests or intellectuals. There's agriculture. And there's laborers and craftsmen. So in some of the tribal societies that you you do find, some of the so-called tribal societies, you do find these eight distinctions, in which case they're not really tribal societies, although perhaps the Europeans consider them such at some times. But some of the tribal societies don't have these divisions. Like, say, the pygmies in Africa, they don't have any sort of education uh, for their children. They don't have any kind of retirement. They don't have any kind of government. Uh, they don't have any, you know, intellectuals. They don't have any kind of divisions of society. So the first birth that one takes after being an animal is generally in those sort of societies, although the number of births in those societies, the availability is greatly decreasing. But one can go, Prabhupada said, the gateways to human birth are monkey birth, uh, tiger, you know, some sort of predatory animal, and uh, cows. So those who those living entities where their last animal birth are cows, they take birth as humans in Satvagun, and those were last... Uh, animal birth is as some you know, predatory, carnivorous cat, bear, etc. They take birth as human beings in the mode of passion, and those whose last animal birth was like monkeys take birth as human beings in the mode of ignorance. So the human birth is really just one step above the animals. So in that sense, we agree with, with Darwin that the humans are really just sophisticated animals. Their consciousness is not very evolved. Hmm? Not very evolved. But it's evolved enough so that we see in uh, all human society there's some sort of system of religion. Even the atheists have a system of religion in the sense that they have some sort of philosophy and ritual that explains the supernatural, that explains the mysteries of life. So whether they talk about, you know, some uh, that from nothing there came an infinitely dense, infinitely... A small chunk that exploded into the universe, which is quite a supernatural story of creation. Or there's some idea that's supernatural and that's amazing that explains things in life. So all human beings, we can say, I think safely, that all human beings have at least that much developed consciousness. Right? Even among the tribal persons, they have some, uh, Prabhupada would say, some idea of worshipping something that's greater than themselves. But the humans, being just one step above the animals, don't have much facility for enjoying the material world. So the Bhagavatam says that there are two kinds of beings who are happy. The transcendentalists who are actually happy, Brahma, Bhuta, Prasanatma, Nasochatina, Kanchati, Samasaveshu, Bhuteshu, Madhbhaktin, Labhatevra, who are truly happy, who have truly experienced freedom from all material miseries. And then the fools, who are really just like animals. 
or plants, you know, trees. The, the trees, they have this little feeling of pain from within and they can kind of see and smell and communicate. And, but they're not aware. They're not aware uh, of themselves. They're not conscious of the fact, wow, this is really a suffering condition having to just stand out here in the rain and having to just stand out here in the sun, not being able to ask anybody for anything. You know, if I'm thirsty, I, I can't ask anyone. I have to wait for the rain or wait for the gardener. Um, you know, if nobody sees me and takes care of me, I just die. <laughs> Whoa. You know, but they're not aware of that. They're not aware. The, the, the beautiful gazelle is not aware that my life is, is full of misery and pain. So the human beings have this awareness and they don't have the material facility, especially at this time, to counteract the miseries. I mean, to some extent, all right, we can get an air conditioning unit and a heater, but then you have to pay for it, and then it's, you know, producing carbon emissions, it's destroying the environment, and you have to work hard, and, and so forth and so on. So in that state where one is aware of oneself, one has self-awareness, one has an a, awareness of something higher and supernatural to which one owes one's allegiance and gratitude and service, when one is aware that material life is full of suffering, but one doesn't have the illusion of material solutions, is the prime situation for surrender. Sarvadharma and Parichajama may come Sharnamajans. The prime situation, perfect situation for surrender. Those who have more facility for you know, counteracting the material miseries on the higher planets and less experience of material miseries, it's harder for them to surrender. Now, it's easier for them in the sense that their consciousness is more in sattvagun. But that means they have more of an idea that they're already surrendered. They have more of an idea that they're already connected. They have more of an idea that they're already in harmony with the Supreme because there's so much in sattvagun. Like the beings described by Sanatana Goswami the beings on the planets of the four uh, planets of the four kumaras, they can manifest the forms of God in their own bodies. So they may think, well, you know, we're already in harmony with the supreme. We're already perfectly situated. Our material miseries are small. We have easy counteracting measures for most of them, most of the time, and spiritually, we're very evolved. So their impetus is not so great. So they want a body that gives them more impetus. And that's really the only thing this human body in Kali Yuga is good for. It's not really, my dear friends, good for anything else. I mean, give it a try. It's not. You know, the human body in Kali Yuga, it's not very good for eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And so many creatures lower than and higher than us are much better at those things. It's not very good at controlling the material nature. <laughs> in Kali Yuga, we're not even very good at getting along with each other. Right? And that's getting worse and worse and worse. We can't even get along with each other. Even within the family. Half of all murders are between, you know, romantic partners, family members. Half of marriages, people don't stay together and they get married again and even fewer of them stay together. I mean, we're not even good at that constant wars. Oh, what are we good at? We can surrender because we don't have anything else. What, what do we have? What are we going to depend on? 
Our bodies are so fragile. Our minds are, are so uh, limited. Our powers are, are very limited. Our, our world is, is crumbling and polluted. What else do we have? Our relationships fall apart. All we have is Krishna. We don't have anything else. But we have the, and we have the ability to understand Krishna. We have the ability to surrender to Krishna. And of course, when we use this human form nicely, I mean, it's a general principle. Just like uh, among the non-devotees, they say, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I was speaking to my grandson yesterday. He was traveling on the mainland, and the arrangement that he had of where he was going to stay somehow didn't work out. Somehow the wife had said he could stay there, but she'd never asked her husband. And when he, when he heard, he said, I don't want anyone to stay here. <laughs> so he had no place to stay. He had to find a place to stay, you know, half an hour drive, an hour drive from the people he's visiting. So what's the lemonade? What's the, you know, what's the benefit you can find from that? What's the good? And that's what we should be doing in this human life. What's the good? Don't spend our human life trying to imitate the animals or trying to imitate the demigods. But what we really want to do in this human life is taste the spiritual variety. So we have this description of the material variety. And that's, you know, on this planet, the material variety is astounding. And imagine the material variety on Indra's planet. On the Prajapati's planet. And the variety in Vaikuntha. You know, we had Bhagavatamita, especially Sanatana Goswami is explaining how Gopakumar is at the gate of Vaikuntha and all the variety he's experiencing there. And what you speak of the variety in Goloka. So we use, should use this human life. So short, probably we call it a spot life. No, it's not a very pleasant life. Even if you're rich and beautiful and powerful, it's still not a very pleasant life. Use this spot life to go to the place of unlimited variety. Whatever we want to taste here, whatever we want to experience here, it's like I was saying, people who want to be, you know, ballerinas. In Goloka, every step is a dance. Even the walking is, is as graceful as dancing. And there's so much dancing. Krishna is dancing for the older gopis and gopas. Krishna is dancing with his cowherd boyfriends. He's dancing with his lady friends. The animals are all dancing. The Kavi Karnapur says the trees and the plants there. He said they're dancing with the instructions of their teacher, the the wind. Whatever we want to experience here, you know, to have a. We were talking about people take birth as trees because they want to have a beautiful body that everyone looks at. So, how can you have a more beautiful body than the spiritual body? And who's looking at that body and admiring it is God Himself. Like Prabhupada says, the, the gopis are getting dressed, so Krishna will be happy. Normally in this world, we, uh, want, we want to people to admire our form so that we can control them. 
But in the spiritual world, they have beautiful forms just to please Krishna. So that's what we should use our human life for. If we use our human life for anything else, we are fools. There's just so little to enjoy in the human life in Kali Yuga. I mean, you know, try to go to Delhi and enjoy the world. Yeah, give it a give it a good <laughs> give it a good try. What do you even enjoy in Delhi? One devotee I know who lives in Delhi, she calls it helly smelly Delhi. What do you even enjoy in the, in Siberia? You know, we're in the winter of the earth, the Kali Yuga, in a, in a low grade of body. Don't try to enjoy the world. What a what a waste! It's not what we're here for. We've taken this human body, whether we've taken this human body because we've kind of crawled our way up through the species and finally gotten to it, or whether we've taken this human body because we exhausted our time in the higher planets, or whether we've taken this human body because we chose it as higher demigods. We said, I want to go there, just like somebody from uh, the West chooses to go to India. So use it to enter into the spiritual variety, to awaken our spiritual identity, to associate with the resonance of the spiritual world where there's such unlimited variety. I was just reading the other day a book of, I think, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur describing Vrindavan, how, you know, Krishna plays a certain melody on his flute and then the stairs leading to the Yamuna become liquid and the Yamuna become solid. So we were talking about it and saying, you know, suppose you're like walking down the stairs at that point. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We sing the song Jamuna Tiravanachari. Krishna is playing by the bank of the Jamuna. No, but he's he's so naughty, and he's he's playing by the bank of the Jamuna. He reverses the nature of the of the stairs and the water. Has such unlimited varieties, and varieties that we cannot even imagine uh, at our present time. So that's what we should do. We should utilize, uh, not be attracted to the variety here. It's so paltry, you know. It's so paltry. It's kind of like, you know, if you had a, a shop that sold chemical ice cream, right? And at least when I was a kid, they had the ice cream trucks that go by, and they just have this chemical ice cream. It's not, doesn't have really, it's not healthy. And there's a few flavors, you know, five or six flavors, and it's just going to make you sick. It's just artificial. You know, or you can go to, like in Dubai, we have a devotee restaurant where we have all natural homemade ice cream, chiku flavor, persimmon flavor, mango flavor. You know, so why eat the chemical two flavors? Why not go to the, the real, the authentic, unlimited flavors? Why be satisfied? We should not be satisfied with the material situation. We should be very dissatisfied, but not dissatisfied just simply that we're depressed. But dissatisfied that that impels us to use this body for the only thing it's any good for. And that is to developing our relationship with Krishna. Yeah, they're, you know, uh, in the mode of ignorance and that they have to tolerate so many things. But um, one, uh, uh, let's see, when I was about 16 years old, I uh, fasted uh, just on water for a month. 
And um, I didn't do this originally for spiritual reasons. I it was just kind of a lark. Uh, other friends were taking LSD. I did not take LSD uh, for this. And um, but then it turned into and I but I was also searching, you know, for spiritual life. But um, uh, 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 towards the end of this month. Um, several realizations came to me, and also my senses became extremely heightened. But one of the realizations that came to me was that the whole universe was created by sound vibration. Hmm. And I don't know who created that sound vibration or who God was, but, um, you know, everything was connected that way. But um, another thing that happened to me you know, my awareness and, and uh, uh, sensitivity to everything and every, you know, living entities around me. And so I was uh, up in the mountains in the forest um, for uh, about a week. And uh, this man nearby, uh, well, across this uh, way, began uh, with a chainsaw chopping down, cutting down these pine trees and they were falling and um, I do not think this is my imagination but I can hear I could, I could hear the other trees crying they were crying out and um, you know uh, it, it was just horrible and um, so sad and there's just like a lot more awareness I think than uh, you know we, we can imagine and of course, when you know winter comes, they go into dormancy. But um, anyway, that's that. That was my experience, and um, just that's, wanted to share that. That's very interesting. I, I've heard from a number of people that extended fasting heightens awareness. I'm sure that's one reason why fasting has been used in all spiritual and religious systems from the beginning of time. But there's a um, there's a, a book out, and fortunately, it's not yet out in English called, I think, The Secret Life of Trees, which is just absolutely fascinating of how much awareness that they have. Uh, Oh, you're breaking up. I said there's there's a a book that's uh, supposed to be published soon called The Secret Life of Trees, uh, which uh, should prove to be very interesting. Of course, you know, they don't have anywhere near the capability of the human body. But thank you for sharing. Right. But that yes, that's a fact because they're a living entity. They're a living entity. You know, they're very restricted in that body, but they're alive. Anybody else? Yes. Uh, I've got a quick question for you. Yes. Uh, this has come up in uh, this Bhagavatam class several times, but nobody really was able to answer it. Um, in what is a species? We only know what, uh, from biology, that, you know, you can't intermix. Uh, otherwise, if they're sterile, then that means they're, they're a different species. No crossbreeding. Nobody really knows That's the answer to that question. Nobody really knows. that. Nobody that I know of on this planet knows the answer to that question because it's a, the way that's defined by modern science is arbitrary. So whether or not the Bhagavatam is defining species exactly the way, same way modern science is defining it, I'd say is highly unlikely. And exactly how is the Bhagavatam describing it, you know, 400,000 human species. 
So Prabhupada was asked about that, said, does that mean different races? And Prabhupada says, no, it means on different planets. So there's 400,000 types of humanoids in the universe. And we don't see those species here. You know, people may guess at them in their... You know, when I was a kid, we used to watch Star Trek, so they used to have guesses at what all the different humanoid species would look at all, all over the universe. But like the demigods are humanoids. They're one of the human species. But exactly what does the Bhagavatam mean by species? I don't know. I don't think you're going to find anybody who knows the answer to that. And as we say, modern scientific definition, you know, that they just define it however they want. Which is, you know, it's fine for their own purposes. But you can't assume that that corresponds to how Sukadeva Goswami is defining it. Because he doesn't give a definition. Sorry. Anybody else? Okay, thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.